You can turn to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to be reading out of chapter 12 in just a moment. As you're making your way to Hebrews chapter 12, I want to mention to you that there is a story in 2 Samuel chapter 1. You can just listen to me. I'll tell you the story. 2 Samuel chapter 1, it begins with the news of Saul's death. Saul had been the king of Israel for some time. And as you will recall, Saul started out well, but he didn't finish so well. And it was in his struggling time of life when really he was at the crossroads of whether he would follow God or whether he would just go his own way that a prophetic word came out that that the kingdom would be torn from his hands. And for the rest of his life, he was scrambling in order to keep what he felt like only he could keep with his own hands. And so the time came when Saul finally met his death. And news of his death came to David, who would follow him in kingship. And when David heard that Saul's death had occurred, he ordered a song to be sung in the nation of Judah. And in particular, he said that this song was to be sung not only amongst the people, but it was to especially be taught to the children. This song extolled many of the virtues of Saul, despite the fact that he had ended so so dismally. David wanted a song to be sung in order to honor authority, and so the song extolled some of the virtues of Saul and his son Jonathan as well. But three times in the song, there is a line that is repeated, and it's this. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Now David, to his credit, was trying his best to affirm Saul despite the fact that Saul had attempted to kill him on numerous occasions. David was doing all that he knew to do in order to make sure he was going to finish well. But in the song, he he wrote this line because he wanted everyone to know that he fell before the battle was over. I'll say that again. Saul fell before the battle was over. In 2009, we have watched similar things of which we could probably sing the same song. We have watched the mighty fall in battle. We've watched politicians from all over the nation, have we not? Fall in the midst of the battle. Even here in our own state, unfortunately, one who could have been president fell in the midst of the battle. We've watched in 2009 celebrities that have fallen. We can just mention the name of Michael Jackson, Tiger Woods. I could go down the list. We could just Google a list of scandals. And we could see, oh, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. We've had ministries that have fallen as well. Ministries that have been nationally known and well-publicized, as well as ministries that are lesser known, that perhaps no one would know 
the names of these people. I, I am just amazed at how I can listen to the reports of how pastors, senior pastors, will divorce for no reason besides it just isn't working anymore and ministry just keeps on going forward. It amazes me. In my own wedding, I had six, six young men stood with me in my wedding. All six of those men were studying and preparing and participating in the ministry. And I can tell you today that only two of the six are still in the ministry. Four of the six in my own wedding have fallen in the midst of the battle. And the truth is, whether it's fair or not, people are remembered For how they finish, not how they started. In the Bible, I can give you a list of people that started out well, but we remember them from how they finished. Balaam was a prophet. He started well, but he ended being known as one who would take bribes for his gift. Lot's wife, we assume, was a virtuous woman, and and she married a virtuous man, but the Scripture tells us That when she was asked to go and not look back, that when she looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. And that's all we remember about Lot's wife. Moses, as great a man as Moses was, at the end of his life, he was known for slapping rocks and presuming on God. And he wasn't allowed into the promised land because of that presumption. He started well, but he he finished poorly. Nadab and Abihu got so familiar with the things of God. They started out aspiring to the ministry. They started out wanting to be a part of of their father's ministry. And I suspect they started out well, but the Bible says that they grew familiar and they started what was called strange fire. And they were killed and ended poorly. Gehazi was a servant of Elisha. And Gehazi's greed got in the way of his aspiring ministry, and when Elisha spoke healing into Naaman and and would not receive anything from Naaman because of the ministry that had taken place, Gehazi caught up with Naaman and, and pulled some money out of him anyway. And so all we're left with is Gehazi's greed. If I were to mention the name of Judas, you would have to think that he started out well. Jesus picked him. He had to have had some virtuous qualities Lest, why else would Jesus have asked him to be a part of the twelve? But for all eternity now, Judas will not be known for how he started and the sacrifices he made in order to be a part of the original twelve disciples. But Judas will always be known for the thirty pieces of silver and his ultimate betrayal of his Lord. Alexander and Hymenaeus. I always thought to myself, Paul put Alexander and Hymenaeus' name in Scripture. How would you like to be forever memorialized in the book as the one whom Paul says caused me many problems? I'd say being in the book for all eternity, that was vindication. But they had to have started out well. Why else would Paul have had them around him and and be a part of what he was doing. And yet he says at the end of their life, they blaspheme the Lord. The Bible says that Demas as well started out with Paul, was a worker with the apostles, and yet the last thing we know of Demas, it says, Demas, having loved this present world, hath deserted me. You see, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. 
And these names, some of which may be familiar to you, some may not be as familiar, but all of them started out with a bang, but they ended with a fizzle. And it's how they finished that counts. Some of you may remember back some years ago now, 1993, there was a man who worked in the Clinton administration whose name was Vince Foster. Vince Foster will forever be known as not an advisor to a president, but he'll be known as the one they found in a park. Some scandal accompanied his apparent suicide as well. But President Clinton stood at his funeral and he said these words. He said, it would be wrong to define a life like Vince Foster's in terms only of how it ended. He may be right. It may not be fair. But nevertheless, that's how Vince Foster will be remembered forever. He'll never be remembered for his aspiring career. He'll never be remembered being in the inner circles of power. He'll never be remembered for all of the counsel or the things that he did that were probably great and wonderful things. He'll always be remembered as the one they found in a park. And he committed suicide. See, it doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. It's the finishing line that defines everything in our life. And so uh, as we end 2009 and as we begin a new year, I, I just want to take this Sunday and I want, to, I want to talk and teach and maybe exhort just a little bit on the topic that I've entitled Finishing Strong. Finishing Strong. In Hebrews chapter 12, if you found it, if you have your Bibles and you found it, say amen. Okay, all right. Because you need to, Not only hear this read to you, you need to see this with your eyes as well. This is what we read. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and... Say it again. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And again, I just want to talk about finishing strong. Now, the passage that I read to you here is not only about running the race of our Christian faith, but this passage really has a lot to do with finishing well and finishing strong. Jesus is the author. In other words, he's the one that gets the thing started, and he's the finisher of our faith. Now, Jesus understands finish lines. He endured a cross. You need to understand that at the cross there were no cheering crowds. Nobody was there clapping him on, encouraging him on. Nobody was standing around saying, Attaboy, Jesus, die for me. Nobody was was giving him rave reviews. He was not at the pinnacle of his notoriety or success. But yet as he goes to the cross, he has the ability to say these words, It is finished. It's a finish line. He, he crossed the finish line and he crossed it well. 
You see, the key to Jesus' ministry was not the, not the incredible entrance he made into the world. You know, we've just been celebrating the Christmas season and we celebrate this incredible entrance and it's moving and it's notable and there's stars that lead magi and there's angels who manifest themselves and there's in, in just an incredible, impactful story. But that's not how we measure Jesus life we don't measure his life by the crowds that gathered around him and he healed them and he helped them and he fed them we don't measure Jesus life by his great teaching although many tried to do that and and his teaching was great and they were words of life and 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 yet that's not how we measure the totality of Jesus not even the miracles and he did some humdingers miracles but what the major purpose and aspect of Jesus' whole life was his finish line. All those things are wonderful, but it was the finish line when his life would ultimately define, be defined by the fact that he became the once and for all lamb slain, shedding his blood so that you and I might have life and have it more abundantly. He was a great finisher not just a great starter and it should be the same with each one of us it was in the 1968 olympics it was about an hour after the marathon runner who won the marathon crossed the finish line that another runner from tanzania came across the finish line the reason he was an hour behind the pack was because during the race uh, he'd been injured but instead of dropping out of the race, his name was Stephen Akare, instead of dropping out of the race, he decided that he would just limp the rest of the 26.2 miles, or however long a marathon is. And so he limps across the finish line. He was injured because of a fall that had taken place. And, and the reporters gathered around him and they asked him why he didn't quit. And these were his words. He said, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start this race, my country sent me to finish this race. Jesus didn't die for you just so you could get started again. He didn't die just to give you a second chance, or a third, or a fourth, or a tenth, or whatever chance it is. Praise God that he gives us those chances. But Jesus didn't die so you could get started right. He died so you could finish well. You were saved, not just to get a clean slate, you were saved to cross the finish line well. Matthew 10.22 It says, He who endures to the end shall be saved. Jesus said He's looking for finishers. That really caught me this week. He's not looking for starters. He's looking for finishers. He's, he's wanting those who not only get up and get going, but he wants those who have the internal fortitude and tenacity and perseverance to say, by his grace, by his empowerment, by his help. And there are times, dear God, I need your help. But I want to be a finisher. And while we rejoice at the prospects of a new year, and we'll be talking next Sunday about all the opportunities of a new year isn't it great that every 365 days we sort of get a new start? We get to make resolutions and we get to arise again and go after things again. But folks, it is time we, 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 we sort of let go of the resolutions and the, the new starts and it's time we started looking towards some finish lines. The 
parable of discipleship. It's interesting. In Luke's gospel, if you have your Bibles, you might want to go back to Luke chapter 14, verse 25. There's uh, some interesting passages about discipleship in here. And in Luke 14 and 25, it says this. Listen. It says, now great multitudes went with him, meaning Jesus, and he turned and said to them. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. He, multitudes literally means in the Greek, thousands. There are thousands of people following him around. I mean, Jesus has him a mega ministry right now. Now, hear me. When you've got a mega ministry, you need to, in our mindset, you need to be real careful what you say, lest you, you offend them away or lest they go away if you don't keep them entertained and you don't keep the miracles happening or you don't keep the energy flowing, you don't keep the hype going. Dear God, you may, you may lose some people, but listen to Jesus. I mean, he just amazes me. Great multitudes, not just multitudes, great multitudes. He says, if anyone comes to me, And does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Well, that'll draw him in, won't it? That'll just draw them all in. I'm going to cause upheaval in your family life, is what Jesus is saying. He says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, listen to this, intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. In other words, Jesus, I'm going to stop here, but this is what he's saying. He's saying before you get up and get all excited about getting started on something, you better better ask yourself the question, can I cross the finish line? I can get, how many of us get a lot of good things started? I mean, come on now, be honest. How many of you have gotten something started and somewhere along the way it just sort of faded out? I mean, you started this project and it faded out. You started this resolution and it faded out. You started this book and it still has the bookmark that you put in it 10 years ago where it faded out. I mean, all of us get started with things, but Jesus says you need to ask yourself, is there enough to finish it? Lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Is that not true? Is that not true even in our notable failures that we've watched on national media in 2009? Is it not true that those who stand up and have touted their Christianity and yet end up falling, end up being mocked? Is that not true? Is it not true that when, when notable people who say that they're a Christian and they, 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 they say all the right things and, and the rest of us are cheering them on because we want somebody with influence to be a Christian. We want somebody who has some, some ability to perhaps give or, or, or to be influential or to be a celebrity or an athlete. I mean, we, I don't know about you. I want them to succeed because they could be of great impact. But is it not true that if they fall along the way, they begin to be mocked? They mock them. You see, the key even to the world isn't how you start. It's how you finish. That's why when you walked into your family, some of you walked into a family situation after you gave your heart to the Lord, and you told them with great excitement and sincerity and genuineness, you told them, I gave my heart to the Lord. I I, I believe my life's going to turn around with God's help. He's going to 
help me turn this life around. And I mean it. I'm sincere. And, and I've had an incredible experience with God. And you know what oftentimes the world does, even our family members do? They give us the proverbial eye roll. Isn't that true? They give you the eye roll. And, and I'll be honest with you. I, I remember when I was like 19, 18, almost 19 years old. And, and, and I had this incredible, impactful experience. And I was sharing it with people. And I remember eye rolls. Oh, yeah. This is a phase he's going through. We'll see how long this phase lasts. And they, and they eye roll you. Because even the world understands. They don't, they don't care how you start. They want to see you finish. Where are you going to be a year from now? Where are you going to be five years from now? Twenty years from now? Thirty years from now? See, that's how ministry will take place sometimes. It's not, I got saved, and a week later, I need to see everyone else get saved. They're looking to see if what you got is worth signing up for. And the only way they know it is when you cross some finish lines. You see, not everyone who comes to an altar to accept Jesus finishes. I'll just be honest, not everyone who started with us in this local church will finish with us. Not everyone who starts 2010 with every good intention necessarily will finish. So the question we ought to answer today is what will keep you from being a statistic? What will keep you from being a tragedy? What will keep you from being another story for the world to mock? What will it take to make it through 2010 and ultimately a lifetime? Because you see, we need to know how to finish strong. I mean, I want, I'm praying that God will give us politicians who are finishers. Come on. It's gotten to the place where we just expect it, isn't it? We need some finishers. We need somebody to break the mold. We need somebody to cross a few lines here and say they've run the race. They've finished the course. They have kept the faith. So how do we finish strong? I'm going to give you just a couple quick things that I want you to write down. It may help you as you end this year. I will assure you it will help you for the next year. In fact, it was just really, I think, this past week that we heard I'm, I'm losing my days. I've gone through the Christmas season now and I've kind of lost track of days and when things happen. But, but everyone I'm sure is aware of by now that Oral Roberts has passed away. And say what you want about Oral Roberts, and I know many in the media, and I watched some of the newsreel stuff that they did in the media, and to the very end, the media mocked him. But let me tell you something about Oral Roberts. You may not like him, and you may not like all the things that he did, and I understand there were things probably that, that I was uncomfortable with. Can I just share this with you? There are things you do that I'm uncomfortable with. And there's things that I do that I'm sure you're uncomfortable with. And you know what? Just because you don't like everything, don't get rid of the whole package. Because let me tell you, the guy was married to the same woman for 66 years. Come on, say what you want. And I could, I could tell you some, I just, uh, Lord, just hold my tongue. Just, there's some books, there are authors of books that you guys, some of you are reading right now that have been married three and four times and you think they're all that in a bag of chips. But, oh, I don't like Arnold Roberts because he prays for the sick. Well, well, isn't that better than just letting him languish? He was married to the same woman for 66 years. He started a, a, a university that, that touches young people's lives from all, literally all over the world. He started a medical school and a hospital. 
hospitals all over, really, the world. You don't even know the missionary things that were done through Oral Roberts' ministry. You may not like everything that Oral did, but as far as I'm concerned, I'll say it out loud. He finished well. No scandal. In fact, the only scandal I know is that he said that God would kill him if he didn't raise a million and a half dollars. That's the only thing I know. And I'm just saying that's what Moses said. Moses said if if there weren't certain things that God did, Moses was going to be taken out of it. And I don't see people getting all worked up about Moses. How are we going to finish strong? I don't, I don't care what the world says. The world's going to make fun of us no matter what. So we need to learn how to finish well in God's eyes. How to finish strong. Let me give you just a couple things. If I can give you a, just a couple quick things, I think it'll help you. Number one, we're going to have to train the way spiritually successful people train. Train the way spiritually successful people train. You know, if we go back to the book of Hebrews, in that uh, 12th chapter, it said there, it's, it said, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You know, I, I've read that and, and I've been asked this on occasion. And there are probably a couple ways you could look at that. And I don't know that either one's right or wrong. But I'm convinced that that cloud of witnesses may not be as much spectators. I mean, it could be, but I'm, I, I've reached the place where I'm not sure those, those witnesses are spectators watching you. But I think what the writer was doing here is that he was saying that the, their lives, these witnesses, this great cloud of witnesses, their lives testify to having successfully run their race. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, can I just say this, folks? People have finished the race with more thrown against them than you and I have experienced. There are people who have experienced far more calamity and far more challenges and far more trials and tribulations than what you and I face. It wasn't about how do I get my electric bill paid, it's how do I keep my head on my shoulders. We have a cloud of witnesses who have finished well. And it says because of this, Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at this. I wonder, I'm just reading Bible this morning. 1 Corinthians 9, well, we might start with verse 24. Sorry, guys, I'm probably messing you up back there. But if I started with the previous verse that I gave the sound tech guys, it says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable one. In other words, it may be, and and again, I'm not picking on Tiger or any other notable celebrity. It may be that there are athletes out there who when they win the tournament or when they win the event or the Super Bowl or the bowl game, they may get all sorts of trophies and crowns and money and dollars. And isn't that wonderful? But do you understand it is perishable? It's perishable. We're not running for something like that. We're running for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Listen to what he says in verse 27. But I discipline my body 
and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul says this. He says, I can preach it great, but I still got to cross the finish line. I can tell you everything and unveil mysteries of the universe to you, but I still got to cross the finish line. We all have to cross the finish line. Your body has to be a slave to your spirit or your inner man. And that takes training. Now, what are you going to do? I just want to ask you, what are you going to do in 2010 that will be different? What are you going to do this coming year that will be different than what you did in 2009 in order to be a finisher? Because if you do the same thing, you will get the same results. But if you want different results, you will have to train differently. Think about that. If you don't like where you're at, then what are you going to do different to get to where you know you need to be? I mean, it may be for some of you, as soon as we say amen, you need to run out there and sign up for encounter. And you say, you know what, I need to be whole, I need to be well, I I need to be functioning properly internally, and you just may need to sign up. Because if you never do anything different, it will never change in your life. Some of you need to just say, this year, 2010, I'm going to complete all the vision process and all the courses. Now, I'm not making anybody do these things. We're not strong-arming you. We're not forcing you. Nobody's going to come to your door late at night, put a gun to your head, and say, you will attend discovery class. It isn't going to happen. But if you want life to be different, you may need to do some things different. Maybe you'll need to be here on Wednesdays. Maybe you'll need to be at school of ministry when it starts. If you say, I want to, I want to be able to teach. I want to be able to give leadership. I'd like to be able to minister. Well, that's a great, great aspiration. My question is, are you a finisher? You got to finish some things. Have you started praying? Are you an intercessor? I mean, this is really great. Something set me free this week as I was studying all this. Because it used to be, I'd want things for people so bad that I just sort of nag them along. Come on, you wives. Some of you wives know what I'm talking about here. You just, come on. Come on. You want, I mean, no, I'm not being mean. But you know, come on, I'm not being mean. No, I'm not. You want, come on, let's go to the motive. You want something great for hubby. You want something, you want a destiny. And, 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 and hubby's sitting there going, yeah, I've been nagged along, I've been nagged along. And I under, believe me, I understand, as a pastor, I get it. Because there's so many things I want. And I want people to get it and to, to be successful and to have God do major things in their life and miracles and all the rest. But listen to me, you don't have to nag. All you have to do is watch the finish line. I can't make anybody do what they don't want to do. You gotta want the end. You gotta, you gotta wanna finish. You gotta want the imperishable crown. You gotta wanna press through. Christianity is not about a decision, it's about training. Resistance training. When you get a little resistance in your life, that's when you begin to build muscle. And, and the problem with most of us is we get a little resistant, resistance, and then we're ready to just quit. Well, if God was on my side, He wouldn't make me do all this. <laughs> Look at His own son. I mean, if you want to know how God's going to handle you, look how he handled his son. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. 
You may have a cross in front of you. I realize they aren't going to scramble to listen to this. I get it. But you may have a cross, but you've got to begin to see the joy that's set before you. Because even if you experience the injustice of a cross, there is still the triumph of a resurrection. God isn't going to kill you just to keep you in the grave. He kills you so he can raise up something new. Hallelujah. I realize death ain't fun. But it always produces something great. All right, that's more than I had on my notes. Number two, training. Number two, run the race that's before you. I like what they wrote down here in Hebrews. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, I don't know a lot about cross-country. I wasn't a cross-country runner. I, I played other sports. I was not a cross-country runner. But I know enough to know that they would put flags out to mark the course. And uh, you would run the course. And, of course, when you'd come up to flags, and they were usually at corners, you would have to run around the flag, right? You couldn't all of a sudden come up to the flag and say, eh, I don't like this course, so I'm going to cut this corner. You can't do that. Um, you, you, you can't just look at the race that's out there and suddenly say to yourself, well, uh, you guys are going to run 26.2 miles. I decided I'm going to run 13.1. You guys do what you do. I got to do it. And that's, that's not how it works. Because if you finish the race by cutting a corner, you really didn't finish the race. I have come to, I read this and I thought to myself, God has marked a race for me. Now, I will say this, that what he's marked for me may not be the same exact flag markings that he has for you, but he's marked a race for each one of us. And you may look at others' courses, and you may say to yourself, how come they get an easier course than I get? Now, now let me just say this, you don't know what their course is really like anyway, but that's what we always do we look around at everyone else how come they get it easier how come they don't have to do what i do how come they don't have to experience what i experience how come it's all on me listen there's a race that has been set before you and you and i are required to run the race that is set before you are you following me i I can't look at at another and say well i'm going to do what they do well, no, I, I've got to do what God has put before me. And, and it really started to help me because I started thinking to myself, and most pastors think this way, they always think that their city is the toughest city in the nation. And I have been thinking, you know, Charleston, Charleston is just Charleston. Charleston has a kind of a, a, a reputation. And as far as I'm concerned, concerning the things of the Spirit, I think it's kind of a tough course. But it's my course. God isn't asking me to run the Tulsa course or the Orlando course or the Charlotte course. Are you following me? He's asking me to run the Charleston course. That's my race. You've got a race. God's not asking you to run, you know, your, your, your siblings race or your in-laws race. God's not asking you to run anyone's race but the one that he's put before you. He has designed a race that is before you. Too many people want to run on an alternate racetrack. 
I mean, we, we, we think somehow God's will is like a ski slope. And you jump on the, 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 what do you, the ski thing there. What's it called? Lift. That's the technical term for it. The lift. And you go up the course and then they got these arrows and it says bunny course. And it says green slope, blue slope, diamond slope, or whatever it is. And, and it's like, oh, which course am I going to choose today? Well, I don't want to run on any moguls. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to definitely go on the green. And I know if I go on the diamond course, it's going to be a little bit steep. So I want to, I'm just going to run the green course. You cannot do that. You get off your ski lift in the face and God points a course out. And he says, that's the one you're going to run. And I'm sorry if you've lost someone along the way, but that's the one you're going to run. I'm sorry if it looks a little harder than anyone else, that's the one you're going to run. You don't know what anyone else is running, but you're going to run this one. That's why he says, number three, you're to fix your eyes on what? Don't be looking at another's racetrack. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of the faith. We spend too much time looking around at what others are running and doing and racing. And, and the Lord says, you got to keep your eyes on the prize. If you lose focus on him, you just plain old lost focus. You know, there's a mile 19 at the Boston Marathon that they call Heartbreak Hill. And apparently if you're a marathon runner and you get to mile 19, think about that. You've run 19 miles. Have mercy. If I ran 19 miles... They ought to give me a new SUV. I can't imagine running 19 miles. But at the 19 mile marker, there's this steep hill they call Heartbreak Hill. And there are many runners that start the marathon well. But that steep hill breaks them. They see the hill and they begin to lose heart. And what happens is, is they've got their eyes on the hill... And not the finish line. They got their eyes on the temporary and not the enduring. And the reason people fall is because they lose their focus. Tiger said, family first. But he lost his focus. Our governor said, family first. He lost his focus. Everyone who shipwrecks loses their focus. If you intend on succeeding in 2010, ask yourself, where's my focus? Am I focusing on what really matters? Then there's number four. After you've done these three, number four, I'm going to give you five things. Number four, you got to press past the quit. I just call it press past the quit. In fact, here in Hebrews 12, it says that, that he endured the cross despising the shame. I started reading that word over and over again. What does it mean to despise the shame? What did it mean? I think there was a moment. I mean, I'm just, I'm just speculating here. I, I think there was a moment, though, that Jesus may have felt, because as you'll recall in Gethsemane, there was a moment there that he wanted the cup to pass, but he said, nevertheless, not my will but thine. So we know that there were things going on in Jesus. And I wonder if there could have been just a split moment. I'm not saying that that he laid hold of it, but just, just a split moment that he felt shame in what his race was looking like. I don't know about you, but if he is touched of all my infirmities, then he has to know how I feel at times. And I wonder if there wasn't a split instant that he kind of looked at what was going on and, 
You know, he knew that he had a destiny and a purpose and he knew that he was fulfilling the will of God. But, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like it's shaken out quite like you had planned it. Doesn't seem like it looks like I would have had envisioned it or thought about it. And, and there can come a shame or there can come an embarrassment. It's not like you thought it was going to look. It, it's not as glitzy. It's not as big. It's not as large. It doesn't have as much money. It, I, I'm not where I thought I'd be. I don't have the job or the career. I, I, I'm just not where I thought I would be at this point in my life. And, and there's something that comes on you that, that's almost like shame or embarrassment. And it just makes you want to quit. It didn't happen. And so why should I expend any more energy in this? I just, I just, I'm embarrassed. I just want to quit and do something else. But it says that he despised the shame. He refused to quit. You know, athletes, for those of you that have never participated in, in athletics, you, you may not understand this, but those that have will get what I'm about ready to say to you. But, but in athletics, almost in every single sport, there is what is called, or at least what I call, a wall. And, and sometimes you can be in two-a-day practices, you can be running suicides up and, up and down a basketball court, you, you can be, you know, maybe a long-distance runner, and, 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 you're, and you're hitting at some point in your routine or your exercise, you hit a point. That's called a wall. I call it a wall. Those of you that may go to the gym and maybe you do an elliptical machine or you, you, you do one of those uh, uh, stairmasters or what's the thing that's the, the, the yeah treadmill? That's the tech. See, I'm losing all these. See, I'm fifty. But you know what? Here's the deal. You're, you're doing this. You know, and, and some of you now are, are beginning to lock in. And there comes a moment when you're on that thing, and you're going, I don't want to do this anymore internally it's a wall and you're going oh i want to get off those of you that watch the biggest loser it's when jillian starts swearing at you and you're just going i can't do it anymore i can't i can't it hurts i don't want to do it i can't do it i just it's not going to work and everything in you is screaming quit quit and I'm going to give you something really spiritual because I know everybody at this point says, yeah, I felt that, Pastor. I know exactly what you're talking about spiritually. There have been times I wanted to throw in the towel. What do you do? And I know what we think we do. I want to run down front and I'm going to get in the line and someone's going to lay hands on me and it's going to all go away. Wrong. Well, someone's going to prophesy and it's all going to go away. Wrong. I have got, I've got hundreds of prophecies in that office and it don't go away. There are moments you've got to arise. The Bible says, Paul said, when I am weak, he is. And there's a moment in your weakness you've got to say, oh God, you must help me press past the quit. Some people never press past the quit. You've got to press into the grace of God. The grace of God isn't you just being a couch potato and God just pours this on you and you just spring up and go, I'm ready. You gotta press into the grace of God. You gotta press into the kingdom. You gotta get the want to back in your life. I wanna finish well. I wanna finish strong. I don't wanna be a statistic. I don't wanna be this, this person that people mocks. You gotta press past that wall of quit. And can I just share with you, if you, if you choose to do the processes that we offer here, there's gonna be walls, folks. 
I'm telling you, and I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying you're evil. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But every single person has to break through the wall. you got to break out of the quit. And there's no condemnation. We've all said for a moment, I'm done, I quit, and God will get a hold of us and we get back going. I understand that. But there comes a moment, you've just got to say, no, I refuse. They come, come take it all from me. I'm not quitting. Foreclose on it all. I'm not quitting. Take it away and I'll have to walk to work, but I'm not quitting. Shut my electricity off, but I'm not quitting. I am not quitting. I'll lose all my friends, but I'm not quitting. It may never get built on John's Island, but I'm not quitting. You understand? Now you're saying, well, don't say that's a bad confession. Listen, you gotta knock, you gotta knock the quit out first. And then you can get the faith back. Come on, you need to break the barriers. And, and right now, we just got to call on the grace of God. I don't care what you faced in 2009. Some of you were on the brink of quitting. And you didn't. God bless you. Because when you press past the quit, you just put a new muscle in your spiritual system. When you pressed through that moment when you were ready to throw in the towel but you didn't do it, God gave you an extra burst of spiritual strength. He gave you credibility now. Come on, quitters don't have credibility. Finishers have credibility. And then we'll leave it at this, number five. Because I've now hit the sweat part of my meter. The last thing we do, how do you, how do you finish strong is you've got a purpose to please God. Purpose to please God, and this will be the last verse. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, these are just passages that you can uh, underline, and hopefully they'll be helpful to you. It says, but as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, who tests our hearts. Say, how do I know if you're a man pleaser or a God pleaser? You just wait, you'll get a test. In fact, you'll need to come on Wednesday nights starting in the new year because I'm going to give you 10 tests you must pass if you're going to hit your destiny. And then it's closed book. And if you don't get it right, he'll let you take a retake. But that's how God finds out. He tests the heart. Don't you be discouraged by the hostility of those who love the world. Don't you be discouraged by those who say they're Christian, but they live like the world. And then they look at you and say, it doesn't have to be that hard, or why do you do so much? And, and they sneer at you. Don't, don't, don't listen to them. Just keep your eyes on Jesus and realize we're pleasing God. We're not pleasing them. Don't be discouraged by those who minimize your commitments and what you want to do for God. Don't you, don't you for a moment, look after man's appraisal because i will assure you there will come a day that how we appraise things on earth will not be the way things are appraised in the heavenly realm finish your course run your race please god you don't have to please man john the baptist i i always think of john how there were 30 years of quiet preparation for one year of preparing the way of the lord Think about that. That's all he was required to do was to prepare the way of the Lord. I don't know that he pleased man. I know he didn't please the household of Herod. I do know that. Lost his head because of what he said. But he pleased God. In fact, Jesus said of all the prophets, there have been none greater. And he had one 
year of ministry. Jesus himself, 30, 30 years we don't know a whole lot about for three and a half years of doing the will of God. In Acts chapter 20, Paul writes one of my favorite passages here. Acts chapter 20. It says in verse 22, he says, And see now, Paul's speaking, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. He's going off to Jerusalem in order to do the will of God, doesn't know what's going to happen to him. It's not going to be good. It was prophesied that some things weren't going to be good. He says in verse 23, Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. Wouldn't that be a great word? Come on down and get your personal prophecy. And let me lay hands on you and say, when you walk out of here, you're going to be chained up. Boy, that puts a whole new take on receiving a word, doesn't it? (laughs) Chains and tribulation await me. But verse 24, listen to what he says. But none of these things move me. Oh, it's underlined in my Bible right there. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. That's the attitude of a finisher. None of these things move me. I understand it's not always easy, but you've got to get that in you. None of these things move me. But I will finish my race with joy. As we close here, and in just a moment, guys, I'm going to ask you to run the the last video before we close service. But I want you just for a moment to think. Just close your Bible for just a moment, and I want you just to think. I'm 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 just going to give you a picture for just a moment, and I want you to think. I want you to think that God grants you the ability right now to begin to consider your life and what it will be like at the moment you're going to be taken into his presence on your deathbed i want you to think ahead right now to your deathbed i want i want you to think let's just let's just believe together that god will give you a long and wonderful life and that at this very moment you get to begin to picture or to visualize what it is that will happen at that moment when when you're going to slip away from this realm into the next realm. I want to ask you this question. What, what will people say about you? Will they say, oh man, that was, a, that was a great guy, that was a great woman. Or, or will they say good riddance? See, Ecclesiastes 9.11, it says that the race is not to the swift. It doesn't matter how quickly you think you have to get through the course. The race is not to the swift. The race is to the one who endures to the end. Moses' most fruitful time really was between his 80th and his 120th birthday. You see, he didn't have his most fruitful years, those first 80 years. It was was towards the end. Some of you... You want so bad for God to do something big and you don't realize that it could be that God does his biggest thing just a few steps before your finish line. God's looking for finishers. God wants us to cross the finish line so he has the ability to be able to say to each one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Well done. I want you to watch this video and then I'm going to share just another moment as we close this morning and we finish 2009 together. I have no formal swim training. I don't own a bike and I've never run farther than a mile on a set of prosthetics. And I said to myself, I believe God wants me to do an Ironman. Hi, I'm Scott Rigsby. I'm a double amputee and a triathlete. Well, I was uh, 18 years old. I was working a summer job with two of my best friends from high school. We were working for a landscaping company, and we were sitting on the back of this pickup truck. An 18-wheeler had been following us and decided to pass us from behind, so he moved over, and when he did, his vehicle clipped our vehicle. I got knocked off. My legs got lodged in between our flatbed trailer tire and I literally bounced up and down the road over 328 feet on the pavement. For the next three years, from 1994 to 1997, I'm in pretty much a drug-induced coma and addicted to prescription medications. One day I had this conversation with a pastor friend of mine, and he talked to me for about two hours, and through my drug-induced haze, the only thing I can remember him saying is that, that God had a plan for my life. That's really when I finally connected with God. Uh, I poured out all my hurt and my anger, and I cursed God for everything that he possibly was worth. He simply said, I'm glad you're finally being honest with me. It was uh, December uh, 2005. I was at probably the lowest point in my life. Even though as a Christian, I was lost. I was wandering in a, a desert of despair. And so I just said a simple prayer. I said, God, if you'll open up a door for me, then I'll run through it. About a week later, um, I was in a bookstore, and I looked, and I saw this female amputee on the front cover of Runner's World Triathlete Magazine. And Sarah, who had lost her leg above the knee, she completed that, had just completed the Hawaiian Ironman. And so right then and there, I knew that my purpose, I felt like that God wanted me to do the unthinkable. He wanted me to, uh, he wanted me to run an Ironman.
sure I had this dream that you know, there were insurmountable odds. What I was trying to do was unthinkable. But what I wanted to do was change the world. I wanted God to use my ordinary life. I wanted to place my ordinary life in the hands of an extraordinary God so He could do ex extraordinary things. There's a verse in the Bible, and I'll paraphrase it, but it says, I count everything but loss compared to the knowledge or the worth of knowing Jesus. And really, you know, it doesn't matter about world records. It doesn't matter about um, being on TV or being in magazines. Uh, at the end of the day, when I put my head on the pillow, it's about knowing God, and it's about making Him known. And if I haven't done that day, then I've lost that day. But I haven't done that over the course of my life, then I've lived a lost life. You know, when I watch that, I say to myself, <clears throat> I would imagine that if you ask Scott, he would say that he's probably better off without those two legs than he was with them. And that in losing those two legs, he ended up being a finisher. He finished the course. And 2009, we'll just say it up front, just like he cried out to God and screamed and said, Lord, I don't understand. I... I don't like you. I want to quit. It said that he, he cussed him out. This is really the funny thing about that, is that if we feel like we cussed God out somehow or another, he's going to get offended at it when a lot of us are cussing, using his stuff, name anyway, and think he doesn't hear it. But something arose in him and said, I want to be a finisher. Somehow, without two legs, I'm going to be a finisher. Now, I don't know what you're going to run into 2010 without. I don't know that anybody here is going to run into it without a limb. But you may have had some loss or some setback. But my question is, are you going to sit there like those four lepers did and said, will we sit here and die or will we arise? Will we arise and finish the course? Will we arise one more time and say, I'm going to go to the end? Lord, you can count on me. I'm, going, I'm getting up. And I'm not going to sit and just think it's all going to happen around me. I'm going after I'm going after the imperishable crown. And this is what I want to do. Stand with me, if you will. This is what I want to do. I'm giving an invitation this morning to those of you that would say, I I'm a finisher. Now, now, maybe you didn't stumble. And maybe you're, you're doing good on, on, on your course. I'm glad for that. I still want you to be a finisher. I want you to be a finisher because we're all going to need the grace of God to be finishers. That Paul said, take heed lest you fall. So don't think that somehow you're so strong that you don't have to worry about it. You take heed. You've got to be ever vigilant to make sure you're the finisher. I'm the finisher. I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking about finishing every day. I've got to think every decision I make, it's about finishing. Every word that comes out of my mouth has got to be about finishing well. I want to finish. 
before Legacy Church leaves 2009. I want you to come down here. I want you to be with me. I'm, I'm standing here in the well already. But I want you to be with me. And I want us together to say, Lord, I don't know all that you've got for us. And I don't know the challenges that yet remain. I know some we face. But I'm going to finish well. We are going to finish well. We're going to finish well. Hallelujah. Lord, we just reach out to you this morning. As your people, Lord, we're just a a local church congregation doing our best to do your will. And Lord, we don't want to be just good starters. We don't want to rest on some laurels that we have and some high watermarks. We're grateful for the good things, obviously, Lord, that you've done all through the years. We're mindful of how you came through at some really critical points. We are really, really grateful. But Lord, we also tell you today, and you may need as you're down here, just as you're linking up and agreeing with me, you just may need to say, Lord, there's some things in 2009 that really kind of ticked me off. There's some things in 2009, Lord, that I'm still scratching my head over. And I don't understand and I don't get it. But Lord, I want you to know that I'll live with some mystery. I'll live with with some darkness that I can't seem to get through at the moment. Maybe somewhere down the road, Lord, you'll, you'll give me the full disclosure. But I want you to know right now that it doesn't matter. I'm going to be a finisher. I'm sitting down and I'm counting the cost. And I'm declaring to you today that I see the finish line. I see the imperishable crown. I'm not looking at the mountains. And I'm not looking at the moguls. And I'm not looking at how steep the hill is. I'm not looking at how strong my limbs are or whether I have any limbs at all. Lord, I'm telling you, I'm a finisher. I don't care what others are saying to me and whispering in my ear. I'm glad for those that support me. But Lord, I'm shutting out those that discourage me. And I'm telling you, I'm a finisher. I'm a finisher. By your grace, Lord, it's it's only by your empowering grace in my life. Lord, I'd be too weak to make it on my own. But Lord, I'm relying on the grace of God to infuse me with the tenacity to be a finisher. To be a finisher. I want you now at this altar. I want some of you right now. You got to start declaring that over your life and saying, I'm a finisher. Come on, I'm a finisher. I'm a strong finisher. I'm going to finish well. I'm not, I'm not going to be faint of heart. I'm not allowing the spirit of quit to take me out. I'm pressing past the wall. I'm pressing past the adversity. I'm pressing past the questions. I'm pressing past the mystery. And I declare, I shall finish. My role model, Jesus. It says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He was able to say, it is finished. 
Lord, I'm going to say those words. Nothing left undone. I'm leaving it all on the field. I'm not going back into the locker room thinking I could have done something better or given more. I'm leaving it all on the field. And Lord, it doesn't matter how your will or your race course before me shakes. I'm in it till the end. It's about you. It isn't about me anymore. It's about you. Everyone, come on. I am a finisher. I will finish strong. God's grace is moving in me. Knocking out the quick. I'm arising with new strength to keep in the race until I cross the finish line. In Jesus' name, it shall be done. Come on, amen. Come on, amen. So be it.